Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's turn to the book of Psalm. We'll do uh, Psalm 103 today. So we look at this passage together. Joseph Brown turned 16 this past week. Sorry, Joseph, I'm going to embarrass you for a little bit. So when you ask a 16-year-old, what do you want for your birthday? I know, Shannon, that's what you'd think. And you're close. Joseph said, Lightning McQueen Crocs. That's what he said. Ah, so you're close. Now, did you put the picture up? Mm, you spoiled the fun. You totally spoiled the fun. Because I was going to ask you, how much do you think Lightning McQueen Crocs cost? Because when Joseph said Lightning McQueen Crocs, we, like good parents, you know, went and Googled and Amazoned and whatever. And, you know, we thought, well, you know, that'll be a fun little thing to add to whatever we get him for his birthday, you know? (laughs) But it is not. I was really shocked. So, like good parents, we said, too bad. No Lightning McQueen Crocs. And sorry, that's it. So what I want to do, I got to thinking, just in relation to our message today, I got to thinking about all the things that we spend money on, all the things that people waste money on, you know? And so what I want to do is I I, I started Googling and looking around, and I found several different places, but I found one place that was really good, this this one website, this uh, cool machine, cool, cool material website, something like that. Coolmaterial web, cool, coolmaterial.com. All of these things are found there. So I just want to, I just want to give you a little, I just want to give you so that you know, because if you're on the prices right, you may need to know these things, okay? So I want to, I want to show you these items so that you'll have a clear understanding of how much things cost in the world, because like Lightning McQueen Crocs, I did not know. The first thing I want to show you is a concrete doorstop. This concrete doorstop is an it's Alto an Alto, Alto concrete doorstop. Now this is an expensive item, and I'll tell you why it's so expensive. It was the it was cast. It was the mold for this was a vase. This very evidently this really expensive vase. But that is a doorstop right there. Three three thousand five hundred dollars. And it's a pretty chunk of concrete. But it's a chunk of concrete. Let's look at the colored toilet paper. If you, colored toilet paper, in case you want to color coordinate your bathroom, have everything the same in there. Now this is not, this is not an expensive item in the list of things I'm going to show you, but it's expensive for toilet paper. Three rolls of this toilet paper is found as $20.00. A pack of three is $20, but it comes in all kinds of different colors. And you can use this toilet paper with your carbon fiber toilet seat that's $250. It's indestructible, so some of you may need this. Write this down. It's totally indestructible. This toilet seat is $250. So the website also had gold-plated staples. If you really want to show you people, look, all these play, all you plebs stapling your papers together <laughs> with regular staples. Forget that. Gold-plated staples. The box 
of these staples is $175, but the box is this little decorative jewelry box that'll sit on your desk and look really nice, and then when you hand people papers, they'll notice, I'm sure, that staple that's been zoomed in for this picture here, gold-plated staples. Tiffany, you know Tiffany's, Tiffany makes a tennis ball can if you want to impress your uh, the fellow country club goers, you know, can't have a regular tennis ball can. This one is sterling silver. It's a $1,500 tennis ball can to keep your tennis balls in. And the one that I think most people are going to be interested in, this section over here, you're really going to be interested. This fish hook here, this fish, this fish lure. This is a, a Mac Daddy fishing lures. This fishing lure is $1 million. $1 million. It, yes, <laughs> Chuck knows. <laughs> Listen, the thing about it is, is that all these things are, you know, very, this one's made out of platinum, so it's three pounds. The, the fishing lure weighs three pounds. And so you can, it, this is what it would be. It's going to get snagged on a log on the bottom and... It's going to end up in a low tree branch. It's going to be a million-dollar tree decoration, right, Ever. We assign crazy value to all kinds of things. But the one that we should value above all others, we never give the amount of praise. We never give the glory to the one who deserves it. And what Psalm 103 is about is reminding us that he is worthy of all of our praise. That's the idea. It's the title of the message this morning, that our Lord is worthy of all of our praise. When we come together in this house for worship, you know that worship, that word worship, is, is, comes from that idea of worship, that it is, is worthy of a thing. It's worthy to be worshipped. This object, this thing has, this, this, this God has worth. He is worthy to be praised. And so when we think about this, and the idea that we value lots of things at a million dollars, at, at you know these exorbitant amounts that we put on material things, let's think for a little bit this morning about the value that we place on our Lord. Let's read Psalm 103, a beautiful psalm. Let's read it together this morning and then we'll discuss. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his thrones in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Charles Spurgeon says of this psalm, there is too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It's one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself. And it might alone almost suffice for a hymn book of the church. It's a beautiful psalm. You know what I like about this psalm, or why I think a point that's important to note just as we talk about it today? You know what's not in this psalm? For all that's in it, you know what's not in it? There's not one request that David makes of God in this psalm. Everything in this psalm is who he is. Praise for who he is. It's this exuberant thought about the Lord and him alone. That's what it's about. When we read this today or as we look at it, I just want us to note as we walk through it the kind of praise that our, wor that our Lord is worthy of, the ways that we should praise him, the fact that he is worthy. Matthew Henry says that this psalm calls more for devotion than exposition, so evidently I'm not supposed to preach it, but I'm going to. And instead of giving so much exposition through it, I want us just to consider our Lord this morning and in our hearts consider how we relate to him. Do we honor him as Lord in our life? This week, um, I went over to Elite. We, we talked about priorities this week. And, and one of the first things that I told those guys when I went in on, on Thursday is I said, look, I'm not here to tell you what your priorities should be. But what I am going to do today is challenge you that what you say your priorities are, is that what you live out? Is that what you act out? Is that how you, is that how you spend your money, your time, your effort, your energy? This morning, if he's worthy of all praise, let's consider how we relate to the Lord above this morning. First thing I would say to you, let me draw your attention to the first five verses of this psalm. I think these verses tell us that our Lord is worthy of our own, of our personal praise, personal, personal praise. David in this psalm is, is speaking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's calling on his soul, his, his own immortal nature to bless the Lord. Now think about that for just a moment. Don't read over it too quickly. Bless the Lord. Can we bless the Lord? Think for just a moment. When you are blessed by the Lord, let's say that the Lord provides a thing that you need. Well, what does God need? God doesn't need anything. He's self-sustaining. He is immutable and unchanging. What does he need from me and you? God doesn't need anything. 
When God blesses you and provides something in your life, your life is, we say that God has blessed me. We, we say that our life is, is uh, enriched or improved because of what God has given us. Well, God is, is perfect, so how can we enrich, how can we improve God? How can we enrich him to be better than he already is? How is it possible for us to bless the Lord? Yet David here calls Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. To bless the Lord is to, is to delight his heart. It's to look at how God has blessed you. It's to look at God in who his person and in his person and to think on him and to, and to delight in that, to praise him for who he is. This is how we bless the Lord. Spurgeon again says to bless God is to embrace every proper opportunity of owning our veneration and esteem of his excellent greatness and declare to all about us as loudly as we can the goodness and grace of his conduct towards men and our infinite obligations for all our enjoyments to him in whom we live and move and have our being. In fact, it should be the natural thing for us to do to, to praise him. Um, one commentary this week was talking about how um, that one of the reasons, one, like when he's talking about God's character and nature all the way through this psalm, one commentator said, when people forget who the Lord is and what he has done, they fail to be grateful to him. And failure to praise the Lord then is symptomatic of a deeper heart problem when we don't bless the Lord. Look around at what our world assigns value to and the Lord in many cases, ranks far down on the list. We have chosen to worship creature rather than creation, or we've chosen to worship creation rather than creator, as Romans says, who is blessed forever, right? This is what we've done. The world may look around us and say, well, bless yourself. That's what, treat yourself. That's what that is. Bless yourself. Bless yourself. Do what you want, praise you, you be lifted up. Whatever you want, think about your goodness, lift it up. Bless yourself. Or we bless all of this. We will call, we'll call them idols, but you know what I mean when I say that. I'm talking about a little statue that we bow down to. I'm talking about a, a thing that we put before. Every, everything in existence, there's a line right down the middle here, there's a line right down the middle and God is on this side as creator and everything else that is not God is creation. Everything else. So anything that we venerate, anything we're devoted to that is not creator is creation. And so the world may say, bless yourself. The world may say, bless this thing or bless this object or bless this feeling. As Christians, we say, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Think about that phrase for just a minute. To praise the Lord and to acknowledge who he is with every facet of your life. It, with all that is within me, I will bless his holy name. With every part of you. That means that in every action that we do, everything that we do, we bless the Lord. It should honor the Lord. You know, we honor the Lord because he has given us bodies and he has given us a will and he has given us the strength to do a thing. 
And because all of those are gifts that he has given, what do we, what's our natural debt in return? Bless the Lord. He has put air in my lungs, and he has, he's put vocal cords in me that are coated with pollen, and he says, I'm able to speak. Even when it's not functioning properly, I'm able to speak. So that means that every gift that he's given to for me, the ability to do that, every word that I use, even if I had no voice, even if I had no voice, and I was communicating to you by writing something down, or I was signing to you, or you were just to see an expression on my face, every bit of it. Spread that out. Think about your relationships. Think about the relationships that you have. Every one of those people God has put into your life as a gift. And all of those people that have been put into your life, your relationship, your family, your friends, every one of those should bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. That means that when, when we consider how he has blessed us materially, financially, how we have time and resources and all of those things, with every bit of it, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. There's a lot in that statement, right? And then you get down to verse 2. He repeats his cry, and then he says, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. Don't forget where all those things come from. Isn't it amazing when you sit down and you start thinking about... Um, when you start thinking about, we've been, we've been moving, Amy's dad, moving some things out of the shop, and, and, and uh, you know, he sold the machine shop, and we've been moving stuff out of there, and, and a lot of that stuff is his, but a lot of that stuff is inherited, you know? Like, it was there, it, 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 it was there when his grandfather had the shop, and it's just held on, you know? I mean, I've, I've thrown out, you know, receipts and pay stubs and stuff from, like, 1971, you know? I mean, that was before he owned the shop, you know? There's stuff that's there. Well, then you start thinking about all the things that we have, you know. I don't know that I'm planning to move tomorrow, but if I was going to pack up all my stuff and move, you start thinking about all the things that you have. And you know what you want to do immediately is rent a dumpster and go home and just start throwing stuff in it. Amen. Hey, there we go. Spoken by one who's moving and who has recently moved, right? They want us to throw it and get rid of it because we don't want to move all that, Right? Think about all the things that we have, and we forget where those blessings come from. We forget that we even have it, much less remembering the one who has provided it for us. Notice what happens in these verses. In verse 2, he said, like, bless the Lord. General, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And then almost in response to that cry from David's heart to forget not God's benefits, in verses 3 through 5, he starts listing the benefits. Do you see that? I think there's six of them there. Uh, he forgives your iniquity, heals your diseases, redeems your life, crowns you with love and mercy, satisfies you with good, and renews your youth. There's six things there that he's... You see what David's doing there? He's getting specific. So, like, when was the last time that you thanked God for a thing that he's given you? I don't mean God is great, God is good. There's a far cry from saying God is great, God is good. Uh, Lord, thank you for the blessings of life. Like, 
Like, that's one thing. There's, that thing has its place. But what we're saying is, if you get too general with this praise, you forget the specifics of what he's done. And you know what you'll end up doing? You'll end up forgetting his benefits. You see, we, we often will take for, for granted a thing. Like, if, if I were to ask most of you to come up here and speak for five minutes, you would say, five minutes is not that long. Okay, I'll give you a topic. Speak for five minutes on, and then you, speak, that, you start looking at your watch, and you start thinking, man, five minutes. How am I going to fill this time? And many times people will, will speak, and then they're done, and then there's three minutes and 30 seconds left on their time. I know that, like, that's not a problem for me. Last week was evidence of that, right? But when you start thinking in those terms and you start thinking about how all that he's given us, we don't, the same way that we don't correlate, correlate how long five minutes is, is I sit here and I talk to you and I say, are you blessed by the Lord? Well, then you should bless him. And everybody in the room would say, oh, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. How? How are you blessed? What are the benefits? You're going to bless the Lord, O your soul? You're going to praise him with all that's within you? How's he blessed you? What reason is there to praise the Lord? David does this in, in, a, in kind of a general way for us today in this 22 verses. But if we were to sit down, it would take a lot more than 22 verses for every one of us in this room to list. It, even, it would take one individual out of this group. It would be more than 22 verses how God has blessed you. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, he is worthy of our personal praise. This is David speaking about what God has done for him. And when you look at the specifics, it's obvious that David has experienced the forgiveness of the Lord. He has experienced, like, material things as well. There's, like, if you look at verses 3 through 5, there's, there's spiritual things listed. There's physical things listed. There's, because he meets the need of every facet of our life, we should praise him with all that is within us with all of our physical actions and words and deeds, with our spirit, with our emotions. Because every facet is blessed by him, every facet is worthy of giving him blessing. Warren Wiersbe says that true praise comes from a grateful heart that sincerely wants to glorify and please the Lord, and that's what it means to bless the Lord. God is worthy, first of all, of our personal praise. Second thing that God is worthy of this morning is our corporate praise, our corporate praise. God, this morning, if you look at this passage, a shift happens around verse 6. I'm going to break it into, I, I break it at verse 6. That's where the, the psalm naturally has a break. But if you start looking at the things that happen after that, David has moved from what's happening with him on a personal level to what's happening on a corporate we could say on a national level, uh, this morning, every one of us individually has reason to praise the Lord, but we come together corporately as a church, and we have reason to praise him as well, right? So we can think about it in terms of a nation or in terms of a church, in terms of a people. Notice also there's some differences in this that, that, that stand out and kind of give this corporate hint. Look at verse 7, like, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. So you kind of get in this that what he's discussing are the, the conditions of the nation. Like the verse before it in verse 6, he's talked about those that are righteous in the nation and then those that are oppressed, the, the, those that are being oppressed by someone else. So 
He's talking about the, the needs of a nation here, right? All, all the people that are, that are made up of that nation. If you get down to like a verse 10, verse 10 is in a real stark contrast with verse 1. Verse 1 is all personal pronouns. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and all that is within me. See? But then you get down to verse 10, and we've shifted. It's all plural here. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquity. We're in a, we're in a group kind of thing now. This, we're, we're talking about a group, not an individual. God is worthy of our praise. If you think about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was blessed by the Lord. If you look at, at the nation of Israel and you think about how God, God chose Israel as his, his, his people to be a light to the nations, now we know, especially if you read a book like Isaiah, they failed in that regard, and Jesus comes, and he is the light of the world. But God chose Israel in that to be this picture, right, to the nations around them, those godless nations around them. Those nations were to see their relationship to God. They were to see them being obedient and revering him as God. They were to see God blessing Israel differently than he does other nations. A good example of this would be when, when they all show up at Jericho and remember they go in to talk to Rahab and Rahab who many years ago like is separated by that event of the crossing of the Red Sea by many years and, and many miles and Rahab has heard about how God brought them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea for them. She knows about how God has blessed them. As he's talking about the nation of Israel, there are some things here that I think are apt and appropriate for us as a nation, right? We're not the nation of Israel. He's speaking about this, about, about God's chosen people in this way. But for us as a nation, I think there's some ramifications here. I think that for us as a church, there is some, some application for us to make here. Notice that God blesses. But when you start in that section about verse 8, a lot of what David talks about, a lot of his praise is not how Israel has been blessed financially or how Israel has had years of peace. That's not how he talks. Notice how he talks. He talks about how God is compassionate and loving and forgiving. In other words, God chose the nation of Israel, called them out among all peoples, poured his blessing out to them, gave them his protection gave them his presence, gave them the law. And yet they squandered it and didn't obey it. And so in verse 8, he's telling us like, look, the Lord is gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger. Like God has always been faithful to us, but we've not always been faithful to him. But even in our unfaithfulness, God, he doesn't chide forever. He's not, he doesn't always... Uh, stay angry with us, even though he has reason to. He talks about this compassion for, for, for them, this forgiveness. God was able to forgive their sins because one day Christ would come and die on the cross for their sins and for yours and mine. The cross is proof that he is, as the passage says, he's righteous, right? He's righteous and just, but at the same time, he is compassionate and merciful. That's what happens at the cross, when David tries to explain this, like if you look at Psalms, Psalms is poetry, right? So look at how we get to verse 11. He's trying to describe God's greatness. This is high as the heavens are above the earth. It's, it's, he removes our sin as far as the east is 
from the West. He's trying to find the biggest possible way to measure God's mercy, God's compassion, God's steadfast love to them. In Liberty Commentary, it says, we ought to praise the Lord. Like if you look to verse number, uh, I guess it's number 13, oh no, uh, 10. Verse 10 where he says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Even though we have failed him over and over again, he does not he does not treat us the way that we ought to be treated. He shows mercy. So the Liberty Commentary says, We ought to praise the Lord for what he has not done to us as well as for what he has done to us. Because in this, he knows. He knows who we are. He knows who we are as a nation. He knows who we are as a church. I like when you get down to verses 14 and 15, and it talks about like he knows our frame. He knows our structure. And he remembers that we are dust. He knows where we came from. He made us. He knows who we are. He knows all of your failings. He knows all of your weak spots. He knows all of the places that you are apt not to praise him. And he shows us steadfast love and compassion. And he is merciful. When he talks about this, when David talks about this, he talks about it in terms of the nation, and, and I believe he's highlighting God's faithfulness in light of their unfaithfulness. Are there not real applications there for us as a nation? I would say that our nation has been blessed by the Lord. I would say that we are, we are experiencing his blessing, yet we are squandering all of that. If he has blessed us in this way, we should at least make an attempt to honor him or to respect him, but we don't. We don't. I was reading um, in, in, uh, in Romans, Romans 2 and verse 4. This is not on the screen. Do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God has poured out his blessings on our nation. We should look at it and observe and recognize where it has come from and then turn to him and praise him, but we don't. And all of what David is saying is there's consequences in that. Do you know that churches who turn their backs on the Lord, do you know what happens to those churches? They're a church in name only. In the same way that nations come and go, local bodies, the church, the church stands, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the local church, when we as a people, when we as a body decide to wander away from him, what happens? What happens when we don't acknowledge the blessing that he has given? What happens in a personal life when God blesses and we don't acknowledge that blessing? Notice when you get down to places like verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field and then the wind passes over it 
And it's gone. And this place knows it no more. Do you know what he's reminding us of? We're dirt. We're dust. Kansas, you know, we're dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. We come and we go. We're gone, right? The same way that people live and die, nations come and go. In churches that turn their back on him, they pass away and they fade. They're done. If you think that America will continue to stand just because we are America, God don't need us. This psalm is revealing. He don't need us. A long time before we existed, God was making it just fine. We are not the end all. But he's compassionate and he's gracious and he's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of our personal praise, and he's worthy of our corporate praise, but he's also worthy of universal praise. When you get down to verse 20, there's another shift. We have everything that's happened in verses 1 through 19 is this relationship between God and man. It's, it's in the realm of very physical things like life and nations and, you know, all those sort of things. There is that metaphysical talk in, it, in our relation to God. But then when you get to verse 20, there's a shift here. And we start to see that just human praise, God, is, human praise is not enough. It's like David is he's recounting this, and he's talking about how we are like grass in the field. We're blown away. But the Lord, is his throne is established in the heavens, verse 19 says. So at that thought, he starts to realize and recognize that he's worthy of more than just human praise. And so look at what he does in verse 20. He's not talking to himself anymore. He's not talking to the nation. Oh, bless the Lord, oh you, his angels, you mighty ones. Think for just a moment about how all of creation, all of creation praises the Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about what's happening right now in heaven. Good Isaiah chapter 6. Remember those angels around the throne? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Remember that? The earth is full of your glory. Go to Revelation 5. Holy, holy, holy. It's the one who, who is and was and who is to come. There's these constant praises around the throne. If that constant praise is happening in heaven, that constant praise should be happening in our hearts as well. He's worthy of not only our praise, but also the praise the angels, the heavenly hosts praise him. He, verse, Psalm 19 and verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And we even think about in that just in the creation, right? But this is the, all of creation, all of creation. Even the angels are to praise him. And the psalm ends in verse 22 with this, Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, that repeat of that. Listen, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, is not just about singing a certain song. It's not just about singing a genuine song. That's not what worship is, right? Worship is, is more than just singing. Worship is our whole life. 
Worship is every action, every part of us. The attitude of our heart, the devotion to him, it's every bit of it. And this morning, knowing how he's blessed you, the question I have for you is, do you, do you value him? How do you value him? Would you say that your life is one that blesses the Lord by recognizing what he's done for you and then honoring him as Lord? You see, if you're here this morning and you have no relationship with him, it's not a bless the Lord kind of life. And I bet that you know that. As we're sitting here and as we're talking, I bet the Holy Spirit would reveal to you that that's the case and you would know that your life, if you're apart from him, is not blessing the Lord. Your life is not a blessing to the Lord. You may be blessing yourself. You may be even blessing those around you. But our lives should be about blessing the Lord. And if your life is not right with him, your life is not singing. That can't be the cry of your heart. Here's what I know. The reason that we celebrated the resurrection last week is because he has defeated death, hell, and the grave. If the wages of our sin is death, Jesus took that death on the cross and the Bible says there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is this. The gospel is we recognize that he has given everything for us. He shows us through his Holy Spirit our sinfulness and his holiness and we realize we, we can do nothing. We can't, we're not even in the same league. It's not even the same sport. He is holy and we are not. And the only hope that we have is to turn to him. It's only by his grace that we are saved. He's our only hope. If you're here this morning and your life does not bless the Lord, the only way that your life will bless the Lord is by responding to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and turning your life, repenting, turning from your sin, and trusting in him. It's the only way it happens. If you're here today and you're a believer, I don't know how you value him, but every one of us, I bet if, if we just get down to the brass tacks of it, we don't honor him, we don't, we don't praise him as he ought to be praised. Not personally, not corporately, not as a household, not as a nation. And he's worthy of universal praise. Jesus tells this story. It's one of my favorites. It's very quick. So I'll probably even tell it longer than Jesus does, right? About a man who's working in that field. And you know what he finds out there? He finds treasure. But he doesn't own that field. So the treasure is not his. So he covers it up. He finds a treasure in the field. And then he goes away. And he sells every single thing that he has. He sells his house. He sells his car. He sells his boat. He sells all of his possessions. He sells everything that he has. And in that moment, I'm sure that his friends and family were coming to him and saying, are you, what are you doing? You've got a nice house. Are you, you just selling it? Yep, we're liquidating everything. What do you want to buy? You know, he's got all his stuff out in the front yard at a yard sale. You know, what, what do you need? That'll make you a good deal on that. He's selling everything he owns. And then he takes all that. And he buys the field. You see, his friends in that moment are saying, are you crazy? Why are you selling all this stuff of such value? But he knows that what's in the field eclipses everything he owns in value. He knows that with that, he could buy 10 times what he owns. 
limitless amounts of those things. Because the treasure in the field is of greatest and supreme value. You know what he's asking you to do this morning? Every one of us, he's asking us to take everything that we value in this world and say, look, you don't have to go home and have a yard sale. You don't have to go home and sell your house, right? Because then you'd have to move, all right? But you wouldn't have anything to move because you've sold it all. That's not what he's asking us to do. But what he's asking us to do is, is to take all of that stuff and devalue it to a, such a place where none of it is worth more than him. And when that's the case, we run to him. We cling to him. We rely on him because he's worthy of all of our praise. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.